0: You know, I always loved it. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier this week. In fact, I was asking Andrew and Scott about one of the grandkids. always love it how our young people mess up the English language. And when they do it when they're young, it's cute. It's nice. I'm, Griffin's the one I was asking. Griffin never, he didn't used to say idea. He'd say dia. I got a dia. What, what's your dia, Griffy? Let's go to papa's for a sweepover. I just love that, you know. And and I was thinking as we get older, we still mess up the English language a, a lot. Jeremy, for example, he said about eight weeks ago, he said, I got a dea. I said what? He said, Let's do a sermon series on 40 days of spiritual disciplines. I'll do all the fun ones. And then when we come to the Sunday where we're talking about holiness, we'll let the old man do it. I've got a dea. Let's take Jeremy out the back of the church. You know what I'm saying? But we've become good at that. I'll tell you something else our society has become masters at over the years, and that's the art of euphemism, where we distort the truth a little bit, rephrase things, so nobody gets their feelings hurt. So it doesn't sound so harsh. And you know all the examples. We don't fire people anymore. We quit doing that a long time ago because that just sounds bad. So we downsize. And and over the last four or five years, that sounds too negative, so we don't downsize anymore. We right-size. But you're still gone, you know. They don't call people bald anymore. Isn't that good to know, some of you? No, you're phallically challenged or comb-free, they say. One person, right, it's not called roadkill anymore. It's now called vehicular compressed maladaptive life forms. I mean, we're just silly people. I do know this, down in Kentucky where Candy lives, they still just call that dinner, you know what I mean? One, one, one of the biggest funeral companies in, in, the, in the nation, several years ago, you probably remember this, they came up with a whole list of euphemisms that have caught on through the funeral business over the years. We don't say corpse anymore. Sounds bad. It, it's loved ones. And we don't go to the cemeteries anymore either. They're memorial parks. And they don't dig graves around here anymore. They're intermittent sites, and we don't have uh, death certificates. They're called vital information cards. I mean, we've got to be very careful how we use our words. You go to Outback Steakhouse in Bloomington or Texas Roadhouse, some of the other restaurants, they, they don't do reservations. We don't take reservations anymore. That's too inclusive. But we do call-ahead seating. Wait, why isn't that the same thing? I got a friend that used to sell used cars. Nobody sells used cars anymore. That's too negative. We want pre-owned automobiles. We want cars that people have gone through the trouble to break in for us. And if you want to make sure you get one of those, you can get a certified pre-owned car. Make sure nobody's pawning off a new one on you. You know, We're just silly folks. And the politicians... Man, some of their sound bites the last few years, when they do make a mistake, which is very seldom, I get it, but when they make a mistake, they'll say something like, well, the situation I was talking about yesterday, my my words need to be recalibrated. What? You mean you can recalibrate your words? I'd like to recalibrate what I said to my wife last night, you know what I mean? We have become masters at recalibration, and it's simply because we're willing to go as far as we have to go to distort the truth so that nobody gets their feelings hurt and it never sounds harsh. And because of that, we've become a society of Christians now that will not speak the truth of God's Word to a nation that desperately needs it because of the evil that's surrounding us. And if we don't man up and one up pretty soon, it's going to be too late. It might already be. Sorry, it's another sermon. Several years ago, Bob Munger wrote a book called My Heart, Christ, Home. It's a great book I have in my library if, if you ever read it. Uh, in fact, John Ortberg did a whole sermon series on it. And uh, I wanted to do that, never got around to it. Maybe someday I will. But in this book, he compares the places in our heart to the rooms in our house that Christ needs to come in and clean up. For example, he'll, he'll talk about our appetites, you know, our, our appetites. That would be the kitchen. And, uh, and then maybe our relationships would be the living room. And then he talks about recreation and maybe be in the den. And Christ will come into each room in your heart that represents the rooms in your house, and make changes and clean it up. And he says, then when Christ has gone through the whole house, he sees this room down at the end of the hall. It's a closet. And Jesus says, hey, there's something in there that stinks, man. I mean, there's something in that closet. I don't know if it's mildewed or rotten or dead, but you need to clean that closet out. And Bob says, when we hear that from Jesus, our normal response is, are you kidding? Seriously, I've given you my entire house? So what, I have one or two bad habits that I'm keeping to myself. So what, I have one or two bad places on the internet that I'm going to look at occasionally. So what, I've got one or two bad attitudes. Those are things I want to keep, Jesus. I don't want to get rid of them. And Jesus says, well, you know what, it stinks in there. I'm not going to stay in a house that stinks. I'll sleep on the porch or something. I think the hall closet is the hardest room in the house to give back to Jesus. This whole business of the holiness theology that we're ready for this week, this is a tough one because I think every one of us in here have a whole closet with something in it. It's interesting, anytime in a Bible, when you start hearing about the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest news that ever hit this planet, by the way, anytime you hear that, Jesus is looking for one consistent word in response. In other words, it's something He expects each of us to do after we've accepted the good news of the gospel. I'll read the this, this scriptures to you and see if you can pick out the word. This is this week's theology. Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Very next chapter, Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is here, repent, believe the good news. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, after Peter had preached the very first sermon about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says that people were cut to their heart and asked Peter and the apostles, what must we do to be saved? And what did Peter say? Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Y- you saw the word, right? right? Yeah, the word's repent. Repent is the fundamental response that Jesus wants from each of us now that we've accepted His offer, His eternal life. Repent is our everyday theology, and it has to happen every day. It's not a one-time-and-out deal. I, I was thinking about this last week. It's very dangerous for me to think sometimes. But, you know, growing up in the church, some of us grew up our whole life in the church. And growing up in the church, we start picking out gifts that people have. They've grown into. You know, he's just really good at worship. You know, she's, she's really good at conflict resolution. You know, I, I can't believe what a giver they They are generous people. You know, uh, they're really, really good at preaching. He's really good at teaching. But you never hear somebody say, you know what? They're, they're really good at repentance. Never hear that, do you? never hear somebody say, you know what my gift is, I excel at repentance. We don't hear that, but we should hear that. And so today, as we continue our 40 days of discipline, we're going to talk about holiness, the theology of holiness. Actually, what we're going to do this morning is turn our hall closets over to Jesus, because again, we all got one. And for some of us, it's just going to be a reminder of how important it is for Christians to live holy lives, especially today, and how important it is to repent to Jesus when we don't. And just like every week at South Union Christian Church, we're going to have some time at the end of the service for you and the Holy Spirit to do something about it, because we do all we can do up here. We preach the best we can, we sing the best we can, but we can't change any hearts, only the Holy Spirit can. That's why we moved all, most of our music to the end, our communion's to the end, so you have plenty of time at this altar to let the Holy Spirit take care of things. So you might want to start asking God right now to give the courage you need to act on the hall closet and the stench that's in yours, so that when we get to that time at the end, you can do something about it. Okay, here's uh, point number one. We try to name our sin as honestly and specifically as possible so that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do something about it. That's where repentance starts. Now, I'll tell you what repentance is not. Repentance is not excusing our sin. It's not minimizing our sin. It's not rationalizing our sin. It's not blaming our sin on somebody else, which this society's become real good at. Nobody's responsible for anything these days. And that goes all the way back to the first sin. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Adam has just eaten the apple. God comes down and says, why are you hiding from me? He already knew. Adam, did you eat the apple I told you not to eat? He already knew that. And Adam thinks for a minute about the importance of personal responsibility, but he only thinks about it for a minute because he immediately says, it was the woman, (laughs) the woman, and not just the woman, the woman you gave me, God. In other words, this was your idea. You're the one. It's actually your fault, God. Isn't that how we do it? Now, we all know how he should have responded. He should have said, I did it, man. I ate that apple. I'm sorry. I got nobody to blame but me. Please forgive me. In fact, by the way, that's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, Confess your sins, and if you do, he's faithful and just. will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But it's just hard for us to do that, isn't it? David wrote these words in Psalm 32, verse 3. He writes, When I kept silent about his sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy on me. Isn't that the way it is? When you got something going on you know you shouldn't, and you don't do something about it, you just start getting weighed down. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you gave me the guilt of my sin. You forgave me the guilt of my sin. I like it. You forgave me the guilt of my sin. Listen, repentance, really, that's the way it has to happen. One sin at a time. When Andrea was a teenager, now it's not like this now. I mean, you go to Andrea's house now and it's, most of the time it's spotless. But when she was a teenager, oh my goodness, Her bedroom would look what my room would have looked like if Angie hadn't been involved. Do you remember those days where you couldn't walk through clothes this deep? I mean, when it came time for her to clean a room, she could have opened up a Goodwill store. I, I've never seen anything like it. And, and if she wasn't careful, she had a tendency to try to pile all of that in a washing machine. She'd get a plunger and a crowbar and try to get it on in her. Now, listen, I don't know. I'll admit I don't know much about laundry. What have I done about five times? But I do know a couple of things. Okay, four. A couple of things I do know. If you try to stuff the laundry, uh, the washing machine with too much laundry, number one, your clothes are not going to get clean. And number two, it does the funniest thing. It's wonky. It tries to walk right out into the living room. It wobbles and screws. It's a whole lot better to make little piles and clean them that way. See, some of us in here, I'll just be honest with you, some of us in here need a laundry coach. All of us in here need a repentance coach. Because if we're not careful, here's what we tend to do. We pile all our sins in this big pile and we say, please, would you forgive me for my sin in the name of Jesus Christ? Amen. And that's it, because we're in a hurry. We're in a hurry. The potato said to the sweet potato, would you please hurry up? And the sweet potato said, I am. I am. Looked like you needed a little joker or something, you know what I mean? Very little. So uh, anyway, we're in such a hurry that we just pile up our sin and ask God to forgive them. And, and it's more convenient that way. It's less time-consuming that way. A whole lot less painful and embarrassing to do it that way. So just please forgive all my sins in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. He wants to forgive us anyway, right? Family, we need to remember that repentance is not a bookkeeping deal. It's a relationship deal. It's a transformation deal. And when we pile our sins up and just ask God to forgive them, we miss the opportunity for him to touch us on each one of them, to wrap his arms around us, to love us, to give us the blood of Christ. It's, it's an amazing thing. Sometimes we just need to... Uh, be honest with God and tell him what's going on. It means being painfully honest with God. God, I was late for staff meeting, and I told him I was late because I had a flat tire and the traffic was bad. When the truth is I overslept, I knew I wasn't going to make it. I lied. Now, I hate it that I'm a liar. I hate that, God. And, and after we've done that, we've started the repentance process. The next question to ask: why did I lie? See, so if you don't get to the root of why you lied, you know, Most of our sin is just an illegitimate way to get to a legitimate need. And if you don't work out why you did it, then you're going to do it over and over and over again. And after you get to a place where why you did it, you guys work that out with God. The next question is, what kind of damage did I do? And the reason we ask that question is it reminds us how nasty sin is. It is ugly business. It is toxic business. It's a cancer that eats you up and everybody around you. And you just pick one. I mean, I pick gossip from my notes because it's so prevalent today. We used to talk behind each other's back. Now we just do it right on social media. I praise God I'm not on social media. Some of the things people say to each other, on I, it's just amazing to me. And we need to get honest with God and say, I don't know. I just slandered that person, Lord. I know I did it to feel better, but I don't feel better. I've destroyed community. I've destroyed a friendship. I've divided people. Please forgive me. And and what happens when we speak those words out loud, we become grossly aware of how nasty our sin is and it motivates us to change. Pastor Bill preached a sermon on sin, just a good old-fashioned sermon on sin and how we need to get it out of our lives and and how we desperately need a Savior. And he said after the sermon, uh, Harry came up to him, been there for years, and he said, Pastor Bill, I, I don't like those sermons. I don't like you to talk about sin. It's negative and nasty. It's, it's uncomfortable. And frankly, I don't, I don't see myself as a sinner. And Bill said, well, maybe you're not. Let, let me ask you a few questions, Harry, and we'll see. He said, number one, Harry, you've been mar- married, what, 25 years? 26. He said, in 26 years of marriage, have you been 100% faithful to your wife? You never lusted after another woman? He said, Bill, I'm in sales. I travel a lot. He said, we both knew what that meant. He said, Harry, uh, when you're selling and, and you've had a, a, an, a, an expense account, and you're filling that out, do you ever put anything on the expense account that wasn't strictly business? He said, everybody does that. He said, when you're promoting your product, do you ever exaggerate how good it is? Do you ever tell somebody you'll have it to them on Wednesday when you know good and well you can't get it till next week? He said, that's the industrial standard right there. He said, Bill, look at me. You've just admitted to me that you are an adulterer a cheater, and a liar. So I'd like you to repeat after me. I'm an adulterer, a cheater, and a liar. I guess I'm a sinner. And Bill didn't like that at all. Bill was ticked off. Harry. Harry didn't like to hear those words. Yeah, Bill didn't like it either. (sighs) And neither do we. See, we all want to think that everybody sitting next to us has uglier stuff in their closet than we do. And the only way to get past that in a real sense is to get someplace quiet with God and start working through this stuff and allowing His grace to fill you and to transform you. So you start by being honest, we start, and it's specific about our sin. And the next thing, we ask God to help us with the repentance process, because sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes we don't even know what to confess. Now, I've used this uh, illustration before, maybe twice, but in... 34 years, that's not too bad. I love it. It fits. Back in the early 1900s, um, GE had an engineer by the name of Charles Steinmetz, and this guy was the best ever. And so when he retired, they would hire him back for consulting work. And one time, they had one of the new turbines that came out, and they were having trouble with it, and they couldn't find out what was wrong with it. So they asked Charles to come in and investigate. He was there about 10 minutes. He took out a piece of chalk and walked up the turban, put an X on it, and left. Well, they took that piece of the uh, machine apart, and that was the problem, and they fixed it. And uh, so they said, send us a bill. He sent them a bill. The bill was for $10,000. That's 100 years ago. That's a lot of money. a lot of money now. It was a lot of money back then. And they said, Charles, that's a lot of money. You're going to have to give us an itemized list. So he gave them an itemized bill. Two items. Item number one, I made an X on the machine, $1. Item number two, knowing where to put the X, $9,999. The art is to know where to put the X. Our God knows where to put the X. Sometimes we don't. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if you know your heart half as well as I know my heart, then you know there's some real good stuff in here. It's come from Jesus over the years. And there's some real bad stuff in here. And it's come from me over the years. And the sad thing is, family, we can go from one extreme to the other just like that. We can be in church on Sunday morning singing a praise song, having our hands up. We're so into the praise, we can't even get the words to come out of our mouth. And the next song, have a bad thought about somebody on stage or somebody in the church or a nasty thought. We can go from one to the other in, in just seconds. We can serve God and love God and give to God and do our devotions and, and go through a Bible study and read the Bible one minute and the very next minute be all about ourselves. And so we just need to sit down with God because He knows just where to put the X and say, Lord, we need some help. He's the only expert who can discern my errors and forgive my hidden faults, Psalm nineteen twelve. And then the last, number three, the third part of repentance. Before I do the third part of repentance, this is from Paul. Paul Mizell, are you in here? No? He's back there? This is from Paul. So if it works, it's from me. If it doesn't, it's from Paul. So you just look like you need this. So did you hear about the bad rainbow? It got put in prism. It was a very light sentence. Anyway, here's the third thing absolutely nothing to do with the third thing. The third part of repentance is we ask God for a new way of looking and feeling about the sin that's trapping us. Here's what James says. He puts it like this in chapter 4, verse 8. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and will. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. What he's talking about is we ask God to see our sin from his perspective. Not to see how ugly it is. We already know how ugly it is. But for us to see it from his perspective, it'll change things. Am I the only one in here? I mentioned this first service. Do you know, right this minute, I could go sit down in that office over there in the quiet and start thinking of some of the things I did when I was younger that are absolutely diametrically opposed to who I am today. I mean, some of the things I did put a pit in my stomach. Am I the only one in here that could do that? See, that's what James is talking about. Ask God for that kind of perspective. Not from the past. Uh-uh. We, we want the pain now. There's, there's two types of pain. There's a good pain that leads to repentance, and there's a bad pain that leads to the world kind of mess. In fact, Paul puts it like this in Second in, uh, Corinthians 7.10. He writes, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Godly sorrow does. And listen to this. It leaves no room for regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. You see the difference? If you're really sorry for your sin, then you confess with God and you work things out and you're transformed and everything's good and you move the light along. But sometimes we get worldly repentance. We hide from God, we hide from each other, and we just draw it inside and man that's toxic. That's nasty. You'll start blaming everything on yourself to begin with you blame yourself for the bad weather. You'll blame yourself for global warming. You'll blame yourself for the Reds' losing streak, for the war in Ukraine. You'll blame yourself for everything. And then you get to a place where you blame everybody else. That's where we're at as a nation. Everything's the United States' fault. Because, see, we're doing worldly sorrow instead of godly sorrow. So you do it godly way. And, and, and also, you got to work through the guilt process. There's two types of guilt. The first type of guilt for us Christians, when we're doing something wrong, the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and says, Hey, uh, you can't do that. You feel really nasty about it. So you get with God someplace, and you ask, you confess, and you get forgiveness and cleansed up, and, and, and you go on about your, your, your way. Two or three days later, you're feeling bad about it again. You feel guilty. That's not from God. That's from hell. God doesn't use secondhand guilt. Once it's over, it's over with them. So we got to work through that. And, and then the third thing to make sure our repentance is sincere is to see if we've done some damage control. The classic example of that is in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, remember him? He told the Lord, Right now, here, Lord, if I cheated anybody out of you, I'm paying back four times. So that means. Uh, your repentance is sincere. When you you say, Lord, I really want to change, and and to make sure that I I, I want to change, I'm going to make some restitution. Family Jesus is the greatest forgiver, transformer, grace dispenser this world's ever known. Uh, He never turns away from us. It's grace everywhere you look for the Christian. And we might be successful in every other area of our life. Everything might be going really well. But if you've got something in your hall closet you're not dealing with, it's going to be a mess. And just in case you don't think you have a hall closet problem today, you've got your handle on things, like Harry did, I'm going to read this poem, and then we're going to go down. I love this. I was shocked and confused and bewildered as I I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, by the lights or its decor, But it was the folks in heaven that made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, sinners, alcoholics, and trash. There stood a kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine looking incredibly well. I nudged, Jesus, what's the deal? I'd like to hear your take. How did all these sinners get up here? God surely must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet and somber? Please give me a clue. Hush child, Jesus said. They're all in shock. Nobody thought they'd see you. (laughs) We, We all have problems with the hall closet. All of us. And you guys have heard me say for years that this is why I come to church. Right here. It just is. Because every Sunday, I get to pick up this cup and pick up this little piece of bread, just a wafer, but it reminds me of a broken body for me. And then drink this little bit of juice. It reminds me of shed blood for me. And then I just do what I got to do. You say, what do you got to do? I got to get on my knees. (laughs) I got to say, thank you for this. I got to say, Lord... Here's what last week looked like. Some of it was good and some of it was desperately bad. I don't want to do the bad. I'm asking forgiveness. And I'm asking for the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And he listens. If you don't know that, if you're not a Christian, this morning the baptistry, thanks to Scott and Andrea, is warm and clean. We used it first service. Brody Southern was baptized first service, it was awesome. Still got towels and everything's ready to go. If you'd like to come forward this morning, accept Jesus and get this forgiveness. The rest of us, let's do some work. Let's clean up our homes a little.